Let's pray it is true, our Father, every day for us, those who've been redeemed, those who love you, every day is a hallelujah. Every day is a praise the Lord. Every thought, every act needs to be a praise the Lord, because you alone are our treasure. Thank you for your great love for us and this opportunity to gather together as God's people around the Lord's table and remind ourselves all over again how much you love us and pay tribute to you, Father, and to thank you and to to express our love to you, particularly, Father, by being people of obedience. May we be people who do quickly what you ask us to do and in that way demonstrate to you how much we love you and trust you and Know that you are a great God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The, um, of course, communion text that we regularly use at the very end, the Apostle Paul says, "For, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, um, my question to you is, of course, what did the Lord's death bring? And, and we know that of, of the many things it brought, it brought to us abundant life, that we might be people who would live abundantly, live big people, live big living. I think our inclination is to be small living people, and that's not what God has in mind for us. That's not why Christ died for us. He died for us that we might in every way embrace all of the abundance that he has for us. And then, but it says at the end of that, until he comes... Until he comes from where? And of course, we know that until he comes from heaven. This morning we discovered that uh, we are already in the kingdom of heaven, already in the realm, the influence, the, the place of impact of the homeland. In various texts of scripture, Philippians 3.20, for instance, or 2 Corinthians 5.20, or 1 Peter 2, 9-11, there are various descriptions of our particular status on this earth. We are called aliens to this world. We are called citizens of heaven. We are called a holy nation. We are called ambassadors who are purposefully displaced from the homeland. And so I want to talk to you tonight about living big or live big in the earth outpost of heaven. I think we ought to familiarize ourselves with the characteristics of the homeland. If we want to be live big people, I think we need to have a, a regularly and um, consistently live big vision of, our, of the greatness and immensity of our God. And when, when God talks about we can be people who are abundant living people, it is coming from a God who is abundant, who overflows, who is immense, who is spectacular, who is awesome. There is no superlative that, that mankind could ever invent that would describe fully the greatness of God. And so it, it is important for us, I think, to, to review every now and then the characteristics of the homeland or of heaven itself so we can represent its flavor, its culture more expressively, more intentionally, more robustly. I think too often we, or maybe almost exclusively, we think of heaven as a future place only. But it is a present reality. Heaven isn't an invention of the Lord sometime, somewhere. It is a present reality. And it is important for us to therefore 
look at times behind the scenes of this present heaven. Because in our minds, we're always thinking about heaven as future, but it is a present heaven. And I, I want us to look tonight at the bigger picture behind the live big picture of, of having our feet fixed on earth and our eyes uh, fixed on material things. I think it's important for us, if we are going to live big, that we have to imagine big. And I don't mean imagine by the idea of fantasy. I mean imagine on the basis of reality, of what God has described to us, what he has given to us in his word. What are the emphases of heaven that should occupy the priorities of the present? Under the question, how big is big? I I want you to look at a video tonight for a few moments. A video that that demonstrates the immensity of God. And it's going to be on the screen for us. It's the only graphic or the only visual that I have tonight. But I I want you to get a look of of, of just the immensity of our God. So Matthew, let's go. We start out in the first picture on earth. And then we take a journey from earth as if we were standing at the foot of the Rockies. And, and then we move to uh, 10 kilometers high in the sky as if we were standing perhaps on Mount Everest where you can now see the curvature of the earth. If we move past that, we will go 100 kilometers into the sky. At this point, you would be called an astronaut from this distance. 100 kilometers into the sky. Our next graphic is 100,000 kilometers, or one quarter of the way to the moon. This is what the Earth would look like. You see the Earth from one quarter of the distance to the moon, 100,000 kilometers. And now we're going to move out to 1 million kilometers. The moon is barely, the moon is seen, the Earth is barely seen as a small dot in the middle. This is 1 million kilometers. And then we move out 100 million kilometers. We're not yet to the sun because it's 93 million miles away. Our next journey is now 10 trillion kilometers past the sun, past the planets. And there we are. You can't see the earth anymore. You can't see the moon. And our next move is now 10 to the 15th power, or 15 zeros, the sun becomes just a bright dot in the midst of a bunch of other stars. Our next journey is now 10 light years, the sun and 11 other stars that you can barely see neighboring stars are from this distance, 10 light years away. Now we've moved 1,000 light years, stars cluster in our Milky Way. You can't see the sun anymore. We zoom out further and we see our Milky Way galaxy and see the cluster of stars that are are part of our galaxy. 100,000 stars closest to our sun gathered in that. Now we move out to see our Milky Way buried in in this great galaxy or collection of galaxies. We move out farther and our large galaxy with others visible as well. Some other smaller galaxies circling around. Our next journey out is 10 million light years. See several hundreds of galaxies. And then finally, our next and farthest reach of the human eye is 100 million light years. 
clusters of galaxies. You can't see the Milky Way anymore. It's not distinct in this. There are not telescopes that are available to go beyond this sphere. We have moved out. Therefore, the universe is still more immense than this. And our God has called all of this into existence. So when you think about the idea of living big, and and we get a picture of just the immensity of our universe, and as far as our own uh, capabilities are, and, and there's so much greater. Our God is so immense, so amazing. Our insights by the way, that I want to share with you tonight come from uh, those who've had something added to their five senses. Enable them to see what is around them but hidden to us. And um, in particular, of course, it's those who have had a vision of heaven. If you'd come with me quickly through the scriptures, for instance, to Ezekiel 1, chapter Chapter 1, verse 1. In the thirteenth year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. And then you read, of course, of the visions that he, he saw. But in particular, I'm interested in that phrase, when the heavens were opened. When Stephen was being persecuted and ultimately martyred and stoned in Acts chapter 7, It says there, but Stephen, in verse 55, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he looked and he said, I see heaven open. And then as we track back in the scriptures, back to Revelation chapter 4 and and verse 1, again, the similar description of after this, it says, John's vision, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Then Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah. Um, Verse 11. Move down to verse 11. I saw heaven standing open. And so we have this description of the the presence of heaven. Not, Not so much that heaven is somewhere where we can't get to it or, uh, or, or reach it, but, but heaven is closed out to our present five senses. And each of these individuals who were given the capacity to see heaven were given something beyond their five senses, and the descriptions are the same. I saw heaven standing open before me. And their visions are similar. Now, we regularly hear from heaven through the scriptures through the Holy Spirit who has us tuned in to the frequency of the Lord. But we don't see it. Because our five senses aren't enough. But we do get to see through the eyes and the eyes of the writers of Scripture a little bit about heaven. And so I want to take you on a quick journey of of a couple of these emphases tonight that that maybe I'll expand on a little bit in the coming days. I'm not sure yet, but I, I just want to set up a sense of, of awe and, and uh, um, uh, the immensity of God and, and, a, and a new sense of profound willingness to live big as we gather around the table tonight. I want to take you to Revelation chapter 21. And I want to start at verse 1 and I want to read selected texts there tonight. The first says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I want to make the first mention of the image of heaven that I gather from the last book of the scriptures, and that is that heaven is not the end, but rather it's a new beginning. 
Sometimes I think we think of heaven as the sort of the end of all things, the the future, and, and of course it is the future, but it is the present as well. And heaven's not the end, and this, it, this uh, phraseology is quite significant because it was at the very beginning of the scriptures that this same description, in the beginning, right, was God, but in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And here as you uh, got, come to the very end of the book, there the vision is, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. That heaven and earth is... Uh, described as the new beginning. Secondly, heaven is not alone. We regularly describe heaven and leave it at just that. We're going to heaven someday. But, but the description here is heaven and earth. God doesn't drop his interest in earth and its eternal future. We talk a lot about heaven only as, the, as if it's a, the total description of eternity. But, but it is not. And then in this particular text... It moves us to a specific interest that God has. And that specific interest is a city called the holy city. I I want to move down to verse 9. It says there, one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to the, the mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates and with twelve angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And the angel had talked with me at a measuring rod of gold to measure the city, its gates, its walls, the city was laid out like a square as long as it was high. He measured the city with the rod and found it to be 12,000 stadia in length and as wide and high as it is long. He measured its wall and it was 144 cubits thick by man's measurement, which the angel was using. And then he starts to describe some of the beauty of the, uh, of the, of the city. Now, now, as we think about this... Uh, the, the angel has taken John from a, to a vantage point, a high vantage point, so that he can see with his eyes this, this immense uh, creation of God. And, and from this vantage point, it gives us a visual expression of, um, of the emphases, I think, of heaven. And I want to share just three of them with you, in addition to the fact that we, we found that heaven is not the end and heaven is not alone. But I want to look at three other things. But first of all, I want to share with you a quote from Eugene Peterson in his book on on Revelation called Reverse Thunder. He writes this, That which we have begun to experience corresponds to what we will completely experience. The vision of heaven is not the promise of anything other than what we have already received by faith. It does, though, promise more. Namely, it's completion. I'll read that again to you. It's a great setup for the reality of heaven. That which we have begun to experience and, and the connection that I want to share with you of the, the, our present life and the present heaven that our, our senses cannot comprehend. That which we have begun to experience corresponds to that to what we will completely experience. The vision of heaven is not the promise of anything other than what we have already received by faith. It does, though, promise more. Namely, 
its completion. That's why the writer of Hebrews said Jesus is the author and finisher of our faith. When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, he said, Now we see dimly. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. There's this idea that we live without the completion of what we will have someday. We live in, with less than we will have someday, which will be the more that is described in, the, in the, uh, the writings from the descriptions of heaven. So what are these mores that John saw that could shape us to live bigger now? Or a more completed expression of, of what will be completed later? Well, the first I showed you in the text was a city. It, it calls the city four square. It says there that it's 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia by 12,000 stadia. Well, in Canadian terminology of measurements, that's 2,200 kilometers by 2,200 kilometers by 2,200 kilometers. It's a cube city, an immense city. Uh, interesting, I think, that, that God would choose in the uh, future existence of his people to, to have a city, to redeem the concept of city and, and bring it under his rule and create this immense city the city four square. Uh, by the way, for any of those of you who are doing math, and I hope my math is right, we're talking about 1,064,800,000 cubic kilometers. Now that is one huge city. I mean, think about that. Everything that God does is big, is immense. God is an immense God. That's why he talks to us about living abundantly, about living big, living robustly, living enthusiastically, experiencing life to the fullest. Our God is a full and immense God. Now, the only other structure that we ever have in the scriptures that is four square cube was the Holy of Holies. In the book of uh, 1 Kings 6.20, we won't turn there, the description of the Holy of Holies was 9 meters by 9 meters by 9 meters. And in fact, it was, the size of it was 729 cubic meters. And so when God is talking now about a city that is cubic, he is talking about an emphasis on holy. He's talking about an emphasis on the completion of wholeness. A guy like Mark is going to fully understand this and totally embrace this. Because what, what we're talking about here is this thing that is measured. Nothing is off-center. Nothing is awkward. Nothing is imprecise, Mark. This city is precise and perfect and whole and measured precisely. I'm convinced that the city that is described here is... A, so that the engineers and the perfectionists and the builders will have something to oogle and awe over when they get to heaven and see what God has done. And, and by the way, when we think about evil and its, uh, its insidious uh, uh, encroachment upon our lives and all of this, then we can just get a picture of the emphasis of heaven, of this wholeness of this immense city that totally squashes the idea of evil. But also... Our sensitivities to holiness and how we describe holiness and our narrowness of thinking, our smallness, our snobbishness that, that we would have the market cornered on holy is also put under, uh, under, served notice by the immensity of this holy city. 
So it both is immense in the squashing of evil. It is immense in, in, in elevating our smallish thinking. It's big holy. That's the description that we get out of heaven. But we see something else here. And I, I love uh, the number of descriptions here where it talks about the city. It shone, verse 11. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of the very precious jewel, like a jasper and and had great high walls and, and gates of a single pearl and a golden street and all kinds of amazing descriptions. But in particular, the description that the emphasis of heaven, the first emphasis is holy, the second emphasis is light. Brilliance. Goes beyond the uh, white brilliance, which is what our eyes are trained to report to our brains unless we get help from the... Uh, the material world created by God himself. Our eyes are not capable of in, in and of themselves of separating out all of the colors of light. We just see with our eyes in, in the absence of, of God's creation of matter itself just a, a whiteness of light, a brilliance of light. That we see colors, that we see Scott with a red sweater. Does everybody see a red sweater there? Unless you're colorblind, you see a red sweater there. I'm so glad you wore a bright sweater. In fact, I was going to tell everybody tonight, come dressed in bright. And, um, uh, but thank you, Scott, you did. Because, because um, when light is shone on Scott's sweater, the only color that isn't absorbed by his sweater is red. That's why we see red. Our eyes are trained to see what... What, what, how God has created the material world gives us the, the opportunity to see the varieties of colors. Precious stones are precious stones, not because they're costly, but because they reflect back the brilliance of, of a certain spec, uh, part of the spectrum of God's color. And so the description of heaven is a very colorful place with all of the colors and the descriptions here. of uh, When, when um, John gets a, a vision of God in Revelation chapter 4, he says he looks like jasper. He looks like um, carnelian. And, and if you look up those colors, they're red. And then it says he's surrounded by a, a, a rainbow that looks like an emerald on a crystal sea. And there's descriptions of, of a sapphire sea. And everything about heaven is a brilliance of light, not just a... Dull 40-watt bulb. In a room with a dull 40-watt bulb, all cats look the same color. But, but not in heaven. In heaven now our senses have been taken to a new level where, where light, where we have now the capabilities of seeing all of the colors uh, of the spectrum of light. It's about light. It's about brilliance. God dwells in unapproachable light, but he's expressed by, by, by vibrant colors. It's, it's not in heaven other than light. It's more of light. By the way, the high priest, when he was representing God to the people and people to God, wore a breastplate that was dotted with all kinds of colors. 
to represent the, the vibrancy of God. Uh, at Christmas time, and when, when you drive around the city, I, I think the LED lights, uh, the brilliance of the LED light coloration has, has, has perhaps moved us to a new, another level of, of the kind of brilliance that, that, that heaven is all about. Complete, completing of the visual ability to discern all lights, component parts. It's all about more. And we have 12 foundations of colorful Colorful representations, pearl doors, a gold street, God and Jasper and Cornelius. Cornelius. A a rainbow against a dull cloud is, is, is but a teaser of heaven for us. And I think what light does then, it dulls darkness. Everything looks brilliant and spectacular. When God lights these things, spectacular things happen and and, and I think the, the Foursquare City was for the engineers. But the light is for the artists. And there's one other description that I want to just share with you quickly tonight. Before we gather around the table. And it starts in verse 22. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life. As clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The third emphasis, the first is, ho- is holiness, holy. The, the, the second is light, more holy, more light. The third is life. The emphasis here is on living creatures. The emphasis here is on flowing water of life. The emphasis here is on the tree of life, bordering both banks of the flowing water of life, bearing 12 crops. I'm not sure whether those are distinctly different kinds of of crops. Fruit every month, leaves that heal. The curse that, that plagues yield or chokes crops is gone. It's about more. And there's a contrast in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it talks there about the black horse and the description of Satan's deception upon people and upon the world. And it says there in that particular text that that food is unaffordable, but but oil and wine is plenteous, and, and people gorge themselves by on wine and oil and, and are, are, are dying of starvation. The picture of sinful, the sinful choices of our world that neglect the things that really bring life while they stockpile their, their uh, homes with costly ointments and fill their cellars with wine. The rich are getting sicker and sicker because they don't partake of the things that are really needed. And so the description of heaven is a description of those things that bring life. Heaven clarifies real nourishment of what real living is. Flowing, fruitful, uninterrupted provision, supplies all needs, heals that heals and doesn't hurt. If the Holiness of the city is for the engineers and the perfectionists and the builders. And the light in heaven is for the artists. I'm convinced here that the life is for the farmers and the suppliers and the healers. Those of us who've lived longing for more, longing for completion. These are the images of heaven. 
And I would suggest to you that, that God intends for us to know this now, that we might embrace all that he has for us now as he can, continues to work on our lives and grow us and, 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 and uh, magnify the opportunities in our lives to be enthusiastic and excited and, and fired up about the things of God. That's living big. That's living abundantly in light of the vision of what is yet to come. Let me conclude this heaven's homeland influence impact picture of what live big looks like from a heavenly vantage point. And please don't lose the point. We are aliens. We are ambassadors. We are citizens of this homeland. The one that we describe tonight, the the big holy, the big light, the big life. This is our citizenship. We have purposely been displaced from the homeland in the sense that we might bring the influence and the impact of big holiness, of big light, of big life to our world. That's what we've been called to do. We are not to live small. We are not to think small. We are not to think about our God as small. We are not to think about accomplishments that are small. We are to think about a big God who stands outside of what you saw with your own eyes trillions of miles away. There God is. And yet he lives in us. Isn't that amazing? Eugene Peterson nicely wraps this up for us. He says, holy lives are described this way. Holiness that is neither cramped nor distorted, but spacious. I like that. Not cramped, not distorted, but spacious. A big holy. Beautiful lives. An illumination that goes beyond the minimum of showing the truth by showing it extravagantly beautiful. Don't you love that? That's what we're called to do. We're called to show God in his manifest glory. The vibrancy of his colors. And we're to live robust lives. A nourishment that is the healthy feeding of our lives, not the frivolous adornment of them. It's not gorging ourselves on wine and oil, but on food that nourishes. Holy lives, beautiful lives, robust lives. As we now have this great opportunity to remember our Savior and the great sacrifice, the great demonstration of God's love for us. Let's use this time to embrace his heart's desire for us that we would be people who live abundantly. Let's bring a picture and a flavor and impact and influence from our vision of heaven into our present lives That's why Christ died, to give us abundant life. Father, I pray that we would appropriately, with great gratitude, express to you our praise and our adoration by living, robust, beautiful, 
holy lives that are big because you are a big and a great God. For Jesus' sake, amen. Everything we do, everything that God has given us to do, is a reminder that our future is also a present reality. Having this gathering tonight and gathering together at the Lord's table is is a picture. A picture of our future. In Revelation chapter 19, there are some spectacular doxologies bringing glory to God. There's lots of exclamation marks in the text. Hallelujah. I heard a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting. Now I'm convinced that that those kinds of descriptions are, are to be manifest in the church of Jesus Christ as we gather together and celebrate with big celebration the greatness of our God. Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God, for true and just are His judgments. Hallelujah, the, the, the descriptions of the, uh, the avenging of the blood of the servants. Description, amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you His servants, you who fear Him, both small and great. And then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like the loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. And then the angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. We are betrothed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And by virtue of that and the future marriage of the Lamb, we'll be invited and are presently invitees to the marriage supper of the Lamb this Lord's table tonight is just a small symbol, representation of the great celebration of the gathering of God's people for all time. And we are called to live big about it. So let's do that. Let's live holy. Let's live bright light lives, and let's live robust lives to the glory of God. Our Father, we offer to you our praise, our adoration, our hallelujahs. And we offer ourselves to you. You are our treasure. Lord, thank you for your patience when we don't treasure you as we ought. And I pray, Father, that you would keep growing us. Keep growing us to be a congregation and a community that's expression is about treasure. That we might treasure Christ to the degree, Lord, that 
that you are worthy because of your great value and the joy that you bring to our lives. Our Father, there is laid up in store for us amazing completions, significant more. I pray, Lord, that we will embrace everything you have for us now, that we might be fully able to enjoy and benefit from what is to come. I ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.